0: Well I' invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to read uh, from seventeen down to twenty eight. And before we do that, let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray. O oh Lord. Oh, send your light forth and your truth. Let them direct me in your grace. Lord, we pray that, as we have just sung, that you would send your light forth and your truth, and that we be directed as as to how to respond as we rest in your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit in my right hand and on my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So we've been following Jesus and his disciples as they've moved from Galilee uh, and made their way to Jerusalem, and they'll get to Jerusalem in chapter 21. Uh, you'll see the title there: the Triumphal Entry, and uh, Jesus will get to Jerusalem. But as they as they approach Jerusalem, you know there's something um, about the the tone or the kind of atmosphere of this discussion, and maybe the demeanour of Jesus that's. You know, there 's a, a heightened intensity as they near the gates mark 's account actually has Jesus out front in front of the disciples as though he 's on his own uh, deep in thoughts, deep in prayer, thinking about what 's coming as he approaches Jerusalem and since as far as the disciples are concerned since since chapter nineteen In the beginning of chapter 19, they've heard Jesus teaching other religious leaders. Uh, He's spoken to the rich and the powerful. And uh, and Jesus has taken time to explain things privately to the twelve. He's taken them aside and spoken to them. Uh, They've listened to a parable that Jesus has taught about the kingdom and about the grace of God. And they've been full of this teaching, lots of experiences, that the disciples have been party to, and if you were one of those disciples at the time, you might be—I've um, been watching and listening with a sense of amazement and wonder. You see, it's not every day that somebody comes along like Jesus and takes on these religious leaders or the rich and the powerful, and is able to kind of debate and discuss with them and actually seem to. To win over them. And Jesus seems to speak with such wisdom and such power that they have no answer to him. And they're nonplussed and they have to walk away. And some of them walk away sad. Such as the rich man. And I had imagine that if you are a disciple, one of the twelve, it would be a pretty exhilarating experience. You'd have that front seat to be able to watch Jesus as he tackles all of, the, all of these issues and does all this teaching. But you might think, if you're one of the disciples, that there's something a little unreal about all of it. That all that you've seen and heard sits in the, in the realm of the intellectual space, if you like. Jesus has been teaching and that's fascinating. And it's all about beyond the here and now, perhaps, in your thinking. But in this passage, matters take a a darker turn. Because Jesus speaks now about what's going to happen in Jerusalem when they get there. So verse 18, we are going up to Jerusalem, says Jesus. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and they will deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. (laughs) That doesn't sound very exciting. Maybe it's exciting, but it's not very inviting. That's not the first time that Jesus has actually done this. In chapter 16, verse 21, Remember, after Peter had just confessed Jesus as the Christ, Jesus immediately starts talking about his death and his resur- death and his resurrection. Just look back to it. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And then again in chapter seventeen he does the same thing. They are gathering in, in Galilee in seventeen twenty two. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And Jesus almost repeats this message again in verse 18 of chapter 20. See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And then he goes on to speak with greater specificity. In verse 19, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. So now the Gentiles come into the picture. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. The Romans. The Romans. And he'll be delivered over to be and there's a three step process he's going to be mocked made fun of which is perfectly normal for the Romans dealing with criminals then flogged to within an inch of his life and then crucified and then he'll be raised again on the third day what do you make of that? So, Jesus adopts this uh, serious demeanor, signalled by the, the, the seriousness and the definiteness of the words that he is communicating. And it's, of course, it's clear that the Jesus' prediction of his own death has not yet properly sunk in with the disciples. It's hard to hear. And maybe it's not even fully believed. I mean, you may remember the pre- in the previous occasions how the disciples uh, responded to these announcements from Jesus. In chapter 16, Peter takes it upon himself to con- immediately contradict Jesus. Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. you know, the, the Lord of the universe says to you, I'm going to be killed. And you, some fisherman says... You can't say that. (laughs) This will never happen to you. But Jesus tells them very plainly what's going to happen. And he says to Peter, you've got in mind the things of man, not the things of God. Peter's not seeing and thinking clearly. He's not really believing what Jesus is saying. And In chapter 17, uh, Jesus again tells them and And it amounts to great anxiety and distress amongst the disciples. Although the response is not detailed. And now again in chapter 20, something very strange happens after Jesus makes this announcement. Because after Jesus speaks about the circumstances of his death, there's a request that comes from the mother of James and John, the the sons of Zebedee. And she says... It's almost as though she hasn't heard what Jesus is just saying. She says, let these two sons of mine sit either side of you in glory. It's quite likely that if you just read the words carefully here that uh, Jesus has taken the twelve aside but there's probably a bunch of other people there including the mothers (laughs) and family and friends and other followers. And this mother James and John pipes up asking for special privileges for her sons. And you get the impression that the disciples have had this ongoing kind of debate amongst themselves as they've been talking amongst themselves about the kingdom, uh, about their position in the kingdom. And it's, it's amazing to us as we read it but it's quite crass, isn't it? Jesus is talking about his death and the pretentious events that are about to happen and all they're thinking about is which position are they going to have in the kingdom of heaven? And I think this explains why why there's such a reaction of indignation amongst the other disciples. So the ten other ones, they're indignant. Because uh, James and John and their mother have just kind of jumped the gun a bit and said, give my sons... These positions of uh, pri- priority. And the other ten are saying, well, who do you think you are? And they're indignant. So what's this passage about then? Well, I think this passage, as Jesus goes on to explain, is about what makes for true greatness in the kingdom Of God. What makes for true greatness in the kingdom of God? Let me make three comments this morning. The first one is that great people in the kingdom of God have God's glory, not theirs, at the center. Great people in the kingdom of God. Have God's glory, not theirs, in the king, in, in the at the centre of their lives. See the feature of these disciples, the twelve, is that they they have in mind their own greatness. And actually, the way that they come to Jesus is full of self ambition. You get a hint of it back in chapter nineteen, uh, verse twenty seven, and uh, Jesus is said it's how difficult it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then Peter says, in reply, see we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Do you see what he's thinking of? He's saying, what, what are you going to get? We, you, we've sacrificed a lot for you, Jesus. What are we going to get from you? So they have their eye on this ultimate goal, a significant place in the kingdom of God. Now it's quite possible that these disciples had totally misconceived what the kingdom was going to be like. You know, after all, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And maybe they think that something significant is going to happen in Jerusalem where Jesus is going to sit on the throne, kick the Romans out, and they're, they're, it's pretty close. You know, it's an, an immediate thing. So I better get my position sorted out. And so the mother of James and John kind of jumps in with this question. You know, and let's be fair to mothers. What mother doesn't want great things for their sons and daughters? But notice her words as well. Say, she says, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one to your left. It's not so much a request as a An instruction. Say it. (laughs) And what's interesting that here are religious people. And they're following Jesus and they're with him and they're seen to be with him. But in their heart of hearts, what's going on? They're actually seeking to use Jesus as a means to an end. And it spills out of their hearts and into their words and the requests that they make of Jesus Jesus. And you know, remember what, in an earlier chapter, what Jesus taught about where, where uh, uncleanness comes from. Uncleanness doesn't come from outside. Uncleanness comes from within the heart. And that's what defiles us. And sometimes the, the human heart and all this defilement comes out in these inappropriate requests of God. See, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, said one famous evangelist. You know, all of us have got sermons that we can remember uh, having heard, or at least parts of sermons, or a line or a story in a sermon. I, I remember many lines from stor- sermons I've heard, though I can't remember necessarily what the sermons are about. But one of them was uh, by John Piper, um, who's a... Uh, a well-known, now-retired Baptist preacher in the United States. And he, speak, he was speaking about how people treat Jesus like a ticket to heaven. You know, Jesus is my ticket to heaven. If I get Jesus, then I get into heaven. But the analogy is a terrible one. To think of Jesus as a ticket to heaven. Because what happens once you, you know, if you're going to a theatre or a cinema or something, and you've got your ticket, it's all electronic now anyway, but, you know, you've you got your ticket, what do you do with it after you're in? You throw it away. You deposit it. And people can think like that about the kingdom of God. I've got Jesus as my ticket. But once I get what I want, I can dispense with Jesus. See how how horrible that is, that analogy is? You don't care about the ticket. And see, it it highlights a, a selfish ambition in the human heart to get the benefits of the kingdom without having the king of the kingdom. I wonder if there's anybody here like that this morning who has a heart like that who wants the benefits of the kingdom without the king of the kingdom being at the center and the glory of the king being at the very center of your life it shows us I think the pattern of this world selfish ambition and it shows us that often those ambitions are still in our hearts even as People who are followers of Jesus Christ. And they need to be removed. Those selfish ambitions need to be removed. The truth is our lives are given, are bought for the glory of God. We are made for the glory of God. We we bear the image of God. We exist to exhibit the glory of God. And in our sin we have been bought. How? By the precious blood of Christ. Christ. So that we can then be restored to that goal of giving glory to God. And in giving glory to God, we find our greatest joy. We're ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. And so, all our ambitions, whatever they may be, need to get in line behind that one great ambition. To glorify God. And you may have ambitions for your work and your career and so on. But you need to bring that into line. It's not wrong to want to do well in your career. But you want to do it for the glory of God. For you students. You want to do well in your studies. So that you can have a great career in front of you. But you want to do it for the glory of God. Children, you want to do all things and obey your parents and grow up in, the, in Christ for the glory of God or for you, for him rather. That's your goal. And any ambitions that we have in this life, in our work, with our family, with our children, with our grandchildren, they need to take their place in that greater goal Of seeking the glory of God. Well, here's the second thing. Great people in the kingdom are willing to endure suffering. Great people in the kingdom are willing to endure suffering. Jesus answers his request, uh, the the woman's request, with a question in verse 22 um, Are you able to drink the cup? That I am to drink. That's a bit seems a bit cryptic. Um, unless you know your Old Testament. And Jesus is picking up an Old Testament idea here. Let me read a couple of verses to you. About a cup. Isaiah 51 verse 17. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Who have drunk... To the dregs of the bowl, the cup of staggering, the cup of God's wrath. And that was the story of Jerusalem, around about the time of Isaiah. Or well, Jeremiah, a bit later. Thus the Lord, Jeremiah 25, 15, 16. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hands this cup of w- the wine of wrath. And make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. The cup of God's wrath. And this is the greater cup that Jesus is speaking of. The cup. He's going to drink the cup of God's wrath. How is he going to do that? Through his suffering and his death. And these disciples are being asked, can you drink this cup with me? Are you able to to endure what following me entails? Because my life is going to be a life that culminates in suffering. Can you do that too? Now I think at this point... It's clear the disciples don't have a clue what they're talking about, but they say, "Yes, we can." then a clue what they're really saying. And then Jesus says, "You will drink this cup. You will drink my cup." And it's just a brief comment that Jesus makes, and I, and I believe that it refers to the fact that these men, although they don't realize it yet, and don't really believe it yet, they too are going to die for the sake of following Jesus Christ. They are going to be uh, put to death. But let's be clear about this. No one can suffer the ordeal of God's wrath for our sins except Jesus Christ, of course, he alone must give his life as a ransom for many. Only he can be that ransom for many that can buy back, as it were, and redeem uh, a people who are lost. But in following Jesus, we follow to some extent in his footsteps. And great people in the kingdom of God will suffer. For the sake of Jesus Christ. How easy it is to be superficial about following Jesus. How easy to say, I will follow. I I was thinking about this yesterday. When I became a Christian, around about 1980, 81, there was a song going around around by U2, and everybody was really into it, called I Will Follow. And all the Christians were saying, are they Christians? You know, this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I will follow, and we're all singing, I will follow, I will follow. How easy to be superficial with Jesus, about saying I will follow. Oh, it's right that we say it, but how we need to grow into it, don't we? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means suffering. And we can say it without really realizing what we're saying. But we can be superficial. We can say it and not actually be really willing to suffer at all. And sometimes we say in the midst of our sufferings and the trials that we face in life and they can be of all kinds. They can be just normal, ordinary things like work is difficult, for example. Or we're having a tricky time with our children or our children are having a tricky time with our parents. And these are ordinary things, aren't they? And sometimes there are, there are sufferings that are caused by the fact that I'm a Christian. But you're at work and you're told to tell a lie and, and to be dishonest about something and you're saying as a Christian no I won't do that and your boss is giving you a hard time about it you know there's a kind of suffering that comes because you're a Christian but whatever it is there's a temptation that can come into our heads that we can say if only life was not so hard then I could follow Jesus properly how I many of you said this if only life wasn't so hard then I could follow him properly but actually what God is doing is he's taking you through that. He wants you to follow him in that difficulty. And to learn to follow him in that difficulty. These are small problems. And I say small advisedly. They are small problems that God is taking you through. They are small because they are small compared to Jesus' sufferings. Your sufferings, nothing. Compared to that suffering. And it's certainly nothing compared to the glory to come. Whatever you're suffering now, if you are. It's nothing compared to the glory that you, awaits you. And he's calling you to follow him through all that suffering. To trust him in the midst of it. And to endure with him. great people in the kingdom of God suffer and endure. Here's the third thing. Great people, will be great, great people in the kingdom of God will be great servants of the kingdom of God. Notice the contrast that Jesus draws between the world and the kingdom of God. That in the world, those in power lord it over others and exercise authority. And when you say lord it over, I mean they're abusing their power to keep their position and make sure everybody else is below them. You know, it could be a tyrant in charge of a country and they lord it over their people. It could be a boss who bullies his workforce. It could be a husband who dominates his wife. And doesn't give her air to breathe, as it were. It could be parents who crush the spirits of their children. It could be a minister leading a church in a domineering way and the people live in fear of him. You know, there's an authoritarian tendency in every human heart. I wonder if you... You've ever heard this term if you're at work and you say, so and so is empire building. I used to hear that in industry. So and so is empire building. It was just, it was envy because that person was getting on in their career. And so that person's empire building. So and so wanting to create a sphere of influence within your place of work. Or it happens in the school playgrounds. You know, the. The queen bees, the the girls that every other girl wants to be friends with. You see it at work, you see it in churches, you see it among religious people, even maybe amongst ministers and elders wanting to be great. People wanting to be great, wanting position, wanting to have authority over other people. And Jesus says to his own people, he says, it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. Here's a question. Is that a command or a prediction? (laughs) It shall not be so among you. Certainly a command. We are to avoid being like this at all costs. We can take it as a command. But I think it's also a prediction about true disciples. That if you are so, so changed as you become a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, as you follow me, that, can, that you can never be like this. Now, you may have to grow into it in maturity. But the goal is for you never to be like this. And the transforming power of, of God by his Holy Spirit sent by Jesus Christ is that you never end up like this. There is to be a noticeable difference between you, Christian, and the world that you inhabit. People at your work or wherever you are should notice that you are different in this respect. That our lives, not just our words, show that we are servants of other people. That we want to do things for their good. Actually, that we become slaves of all Willing to put ourselves out for other people. And you can't be a servant if you're using Jesus for your own ends like he's a ticket. and You have your own ambitions and your own pride at the center. You know, I think this speaks particularly to people like me, Falco and Johnny. A particular temptation for elders at churches. They, they rightly have to exercise rule and authority over congregations. It's a Christ-given responsibility. And sometimes that's going to involve discipline. But they must be slaves for the sake of Christ and his people. How easy it would be for, for us as elders and, and a minister to, to become authoritarian. And if, I, if we ever do become authoritarian, you need to speak out and say... You know, pray for us as elders. We need to be slaves of all. Now, our example of that, of course, and an example for everyone, is Jesus, verse 28. Son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. He is Lord of all. But he is also the sin-bearing servant of Isaiah 53. Willing to humble himself. Willing to stoop down. Willing to be crushed. Willing to get on his knees and wash the feet of the disciples. And he's a ransom. Something you pay to, to free captives. And what Jesus was about to do was to secure the freedom of his disciples as he went to Jerusalem. And that freedom is only truly entered into when we bow to Jesus Christ and become his servant and become servant of all. Jesus say, what did Jesus say as we finish? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, true rest, as you serve him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this lesson about the kingdom of God and what is truly great in the kingdom of God. What is truly great is to be a servant willing to endure and living for the glory of God. Pray that that would be true for all of us, that you'd help us to apply all that we have been thinking of this morning. As we go away from here, you'd help us to think through our lives in the light of your word and live uh, according to your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.